Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear from Trevor Oldham, the founder of Podcasting You and host of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Trevor has been running Podcasting You, a podcasting booking agency that helps real estate investors guest on podcasts. And after working with hundreds of real estate clients, he shares tips and tricks along with insights from his guests for how to start investing in real estate, grow your real estate business, and how to build credibility and become a go-to expert. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Today on the show, we have Michael Wayne. He is the co-founder of Detroit Riverside Capital. He serves as the head of project management and is responsible for construction management, capital management, and investor relations for the DRC projects. Prior to co-founding Detroit Riverside Capital, he served as an associate at Grant Thornton in the Transaction Services Group. While with the firm, he helped clients to quantify and analyze the future impact of acquisitions or dispositions on their businesses with a focus on human capital management and IT systems integrations. He has also built, analyzed, and implemented forecast models for clients looking to restructure their businesses. Michael has a passion for innovating and creating through his love for entrepreneurship. He has created, funded, grown, hired for, and sold multiple businesses and industries ranging from healthy vending to and from photography and he also holds a bachelor of science in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation from indiana university kelly school of business michael super excited to have you on the show today awesome trevor happy to be here man thanks for having me and michael for our audience out there is turning into the show today and the first learning about yourself for the very first time i'd love for you to walk our audience through your real estate background and sort of how you got started into real estate and and what that journey looked like Sure thing. Yeah, appreciate that. So um, my start in real estate was not too dissimilar from a lot of people's in terms of how I actually got the ball rolling on learning about the business. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. But I think what really got me into real estate was my passion for entrepreneurship. So a lot of people say the passion about entrepreneurship, but, but that's because now it's sort of in vogue. I've, I've been an entrepreneur really my whole life. I mean, I was lemonade stand kid when I was seven and eight years old. I was the lawnmower at 12. I uh, started a lawn care company, hired employees, and had a crew of five guys working for me before I was 16 years old. So I've been very, very entrepreneurial since a very young age. And I think that's driven from my family background. My dad, both my uncles, my grandpa, all on one side of the family are all entrepreneurs, have all built and sold businesses. I've been a product of that environment my whole life. So I think that's really where the desire to get into real estate stems from is from that perspective of entrepreneurship. So to make a, a really long story real short, basically when I was in school, I was running a business, I was studying entrepreneurship, and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do post-grad, whether I wanted to go right into starting a new company, whether I wanted to continue to grow the one that I was working on there, or whether I wanted to get a quote unquote real job, as people say, the nine to five W2. So I decided that the W2 was a good step for you know, the post-grad life, I can move to a big city, I could live with a bunch of my friends, have a lot of fun, you know, make a consistent income and not have to worry about the entrepreneurial grind, so to speak. So that's exactly what I did. Spent about 18 months living in Chicago. I was working for Grant Thornton, as you mentioned in the intro. I was doing transaction advisory. It was awesome. I was flying all around the country. I was helping our clients, you know, go through these acquisitions or mergers or dispositions or whatever the case may be. It was a blast. And I really, really enjoyed it. 
I was living in an apartment right in downtown, 30th floor, had a cool view. I was with my best friend, right? And so what sane person would leave all that behind to go and start a business and work 12 hours a day? Well, no one, because I'm, <laughs> it was a totally insane decision. And, uh, and, and I've never been happier that I made that decision. So basically I left that job behind. I subleased my apartment. Uh, I moved back to Michigan and started to pursue real estate full time. So that wasn't without good reason, I guess I should say. Um, by that point, we had already found and closed on our first ground up development project. And so I knew that I had at least the runway of that project to quit my job for and support myself in the interim while we built that first job. And so fast forward now, 18 months, and that project is just nearing completion. We're getting really close to CFO about 57% of it leased already from the residential side. And we expect to fully lease it within 30, 60 days of opening. So that project, uh, you know, to date in, in knocking on wood has been a huge success, both being on budget and uh, relatively on schedule. When you consider all of the COVID delays that have been a, a real bottleneck for the construction industry. So I guess my, my entrance into real estate, you know, from a thematic perspective in terms of learning about it was a lot of podcasts, a lot of books and a lot of conversations with people. But I think the more interesting aspect is why I really got into this business and how this plays into my passion for entrepreneurship. And uh, from that perspective, there's really no better business. I think that's an excellent overview for audience. And now that you've been going to you know, the real estate side, you have this ground up project. What has that experience been like, you know, diving into that and, and I guess really building that development? Yeah, it's been um, a shit show. <laughs> to put it lightly, it's been a total shit show. A good one. I've learned an insane amount. I, I feel super knowledgeable about the construction industry as a whole and the development business. And I, and I finally feel like I have a grasp. But 18 months ago, I didn't have any of that. And I knew absolutely nothing. And so it's been one hell of a transition to go from that level of knowledge to the one I have today. It was challenging. It was scary. It was nerve wracking. It was, it was anxiety inducing. It was not easy. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to put it bluntly. I mean, so how has the process been challenging, but in that same breath, extremely rewarding. And I'm very, very happy to be you know, where I'm at relative to the Jordan project and some of the other projects that we're looking at. I'm, I'm just super excited and pleased with the new career and, I just really love the real estate business. And for the ground up project, what made you decide to do that instead of saying going out there and, and purchasing, you know, let's say a 20 unit apartment complex, what made you lead, lead more towards that than something that's already been built and then you can potentially go in and, and do a value add? Of course, of course. Well, I'll use a little, I guess, comparison here. So how many people do you know that are doing that? How many people do you know looking for 20 to 40 to, to 50 unit apartment buildings that they're looking to buy, renovate, raise rents? Probably quite a bit. <laughs> exactly. How many people do you know build ground up? Not that many. <laughs> exactly. So that that's really why is way less competition in the development space. There's um, a significant amount of additional work and risk. So that's really the trade off, and that's why in the existing asset space there's lower barriers to entry. So you get a lot more people playing in that space. But in the in the development space it's a whole nother world of barriers to entry that you have to think about and worry about. And not a lot of people take the time and effort to figure those things out. And so naturally we're playing in a much smaller sandbox. Well, I guess an equally sized sandbox that has a lot less people playing in it um, than in the existing space. And so I, I, I should clarify though, that now looking back on it, that's why we've stayed in the development business. But originally, originally that wasn't what drove us there. What drove us there at first was that when we were first looking for our first deal, we were looking for something value add and wanted to do that just the way that everyone else does to get that started. We didn't intend to set out to start building 
um, it just so happened that the very first deal that we're just about to finish now, um, that that project was brought to us in our pursuit of a value add project and not knowing a thing about value add nor development, we said, what the heck, let's give development a try. And, you know, I've always been passionate, very passionate about construction. I um, have an interest in it. I've always, you know, I, I, I'd spend a Saturday when I was 10 or 12 years old building a skateboard ramp out of wood, you know, because I just mm-hmm. enjoyed that process. Um, I also used to have my mom, like when I was real little, three, four, five years old, I had my mom drive me to um, construction sites and I'd sit there and watch the digger trucks as I called them in, in those days. So it's kind of a, a fun full circle moment when our project was getting bulldozed and they had the excavators out there. <laughs> my mom sent me a picture and said, what do you think of these digger trucks? And so that was a, it was a, it was a fun kind of full circle thing um, to go from watching them as a kid to then watching them build our project and, and build their future. And then from the construction side of the business, you know, with the, with the pandemic and, you know, seeing that, you know, let's say the price of lumber has gone up, you know, quite a bit um, over the last year or two. Have you noticed when you've been building this development, have the construction costs gone up since you first started? Is it, are you with, within budget? What is sort of the mm-hmm. that aspect side of it? Uh, just given that, you know, prices seem to have increased uh, rather, rather rapidly uh, in the last little while. You got it. Yeah. So timing is really important when considering the answer to this question. So when we first started to bid and to build this project, it was in a pre-COVID environment. Well, the the bidding part was. So we already had all of our contracts for the most part, all the main ones, the lumber, the masonry, the drywall, the MEPs, mechanical electrical plumbing, all of that stuff was already bid and already awarded in terms of the contract. So that was helpful because when you award a contract, you're committing to doing a job for a certain certain price. And so at that point, even when the cost of their goods or their input products increased, they had already committed to us that they were going to deliver the scope of work for us for a fixed price. Now there were certain examples like in lumber, for example, we did get hit with like a 40, no, I think it was like 60,000, $60,000 change order for lumber cost increases. And so relative to our total lumber package, I want to say that that was somewhere around 20% increase. But when you look at what lumber actually did in terms of its underlying <laughs> futures, it was up 400%. So to only pay 20% more relative to a 400% increase in the underlying commodity was pretty good. And that just has to do with where we're at on the supply chain. So we can buy lumber from people that the average person can't buy lumber from because the average person isn't buying $720,000 worth of lumber. Um, so that helped us to get better pricing because we're going up the supply chain. You know, if we were buying at Home Depot, then we'd be paying 4X. But if we're buying from our wholesalers or, or our lumber suppliers, basically, then um, those cost increases aren't as bad. So that one was one that was a bit of a surprise. But, you know, overall, um, the project is on budget. It It is um, going to finish that way, knocking on wood. <laughs> and it it really is just a testament to our construction manager and to our team for keeping the uh, the car on the track, so to speak, as far as the budget's concerned. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that we bid this project pre-pandemic, and that was super helpful. Now, in, in terms of future projects that we're looking at now in a post-pandemic world, mm-hmm. um, we sort of sandwiched the lumber issue pretty well. Like when we bought Jordan's lumber, it hadn't spiked yet, and we're about to buy lumber again for another project. And now it's come back down. So lumber futures as of today are at 520. At the height of the pandemic, they were at 17, 1700. Mm-hmm. So that 520 now is 1700. So they were more than three times what they are now. So they've already come down, 
that far. And uh, actually in the last day or so, they've spiked back up up 15%. But point being that the future prices have restored to a more normal level, which indicates to us that it's still prudent to design and spend money on the approval and entitlement process for new projects, knowing that that lumber price is coming back down and that we're going to be able to hit much more affordable levels on our lumber prices. Now, it won't ever be as inexpensive as it was pre-pandemic because that's just that's inflation at work right there. Like it's just never going to go back to lower. Um, but it has significantly decreased once again. And that's what still allows us to build these projects. I think that's, that's uh, definitely an excellent example. And then when it comes to the financing aspect of it, what did that look like? Did you have to raise outside investor capital? Did you do bank financing? I'd love for you just to walk our audience through how that sort of process worked when you're building up from the ground. Totally. Yeah. So the financing um, was built around a $9 million budget. So total project cost about 9 million. Um, we leveraged that with 80%. So we got seven, two from a bank and then we needed about 1.8 from private limited partners. So we had a network of like high net worth individuals that we just knew one way or another. Um, some family friends, some friends of friends, some just random contacts that we had, but basically we were able to line up 12 of these individuals and they invested anywhere from $25,000 chunks up to a $350,000 chunk to make up that 1.8. So across 12 people, um, we raised 1.8 million of varying size subscriptions. And then um, we built a, a return profile around, um, around that amount of capital. And then we built ourselves in a little incentive to it as well. And so the financing process was shockingly one of the easier parts of the Jordan project. Like in fact, like probably one of the easiest. Um, and that's just because it's a really, really good project and a really, really good deal. And as first time sponsors on that project, we had to give away the farm when it comes to the return potential. So we really juiced up the, like we were projecting a 27% IRR for investors. Like talk to any operator out there. Like you would never give investors a 27% IRR because you're giving them too much. Like, you know, mm. the market doesn't demand a 27% IRR right now. Um, you can sell projects at anywhere from 15 to 20% IRR all day long. So on Jordan, we were projecting a 27 and that was net to investors. And that's really a product of, it was our first project. We needed them to trust us. We needed them to really uh, justify the risk associated with coming on with first timers. So that's how we were able to make that financing process so easy is because we really gave them a, a really big piece of the pie. And, um, and it's, it's looking like that's going to work out well for them. Well, I can touch on that in a minute, but we're looking at a sale potential. We're looking at refinancing. And, and it's likely that even inside of a three-year window that we could hit some of the return projections that we were targeting in five years in two and a half or three. I think that I think going over those numbers are are definitely super helpful for our audience. And, and now let's say you're working on this project and it's, it's nearing the completion. Do you have any other projects that you've been working on or other projects in the horizon that you'd think, you know, that you'd be interested in doing? Totally. Yeah. So we have, um, let's see, 14 and 36 is 50. So we have $50 million worth of construction in our pipeline right now across three projects. Um, one's five and a half, one's like nine, and then one's about 36. So the five and a half is the one that I just got out of a page turn meeting for with our architect and our, our construction manager. And uh, that one, the architecture's done, the site plan's approved, the financing is going through approvals with the lenders right now. We have all the capital raised. So we're just about ready to hit the go button on that. We'll probably start construction on that like the week after Labor Day. And then um, 
The next one is a 200 unit development. It's located in a neighborhood, something on a neighborhood in, in like a, a city or township somewhat close to where our first project is. Um, that one would be built across 27 acres, three story common halls um, and 200 plus units. And then the coolest part about that project is we actually have about 12 acres worth of land on that 27 acres that we don't need to build on at all. Um, we don't need to build parking lot. We don't need to build the units. Like we can still fit the 200 units just on about 10 and a half acres in the center. And that's going to allow us to build a 12 acre nature preserve for our residents. Hmm. So when it comes to amenities, that's going to be, um, probably the best one of this particular site is that people will have 12 acres worth of walking, hiking, biking, running trails that's connected to their apartment community. So we think that's pretty cool. And then we also have a six and a half acre parcel on the front end that's closer to the main road there that we're probably going to outlot and sell off to a retail developer to build some retail there. Um, so that's, that's the big honcho and that, you know, of the 50 million, that's 36 of it. So that project's really important to us. And then um, the last one is a little 22 unit, um, luxury townhome development. So this one is right in the downtown of a quaint but very affluent suburb of Metro Detroit. And um, it's on the last vacant piece of land in the entire village. Um, there literally is not a vacant piece of land in the rest of this village besides this parcel. And certainly not one this big and certainly not one downtown. So we're really, really excited on that one because we'll be building a first of its kind townhome development in an area that basically has zero um, luxury apartment communities. And, um, that one will have, you know, rents in the three, four and $5,000 range. So, um, really playing to the very upper echelon of that market. And, and that's a market that can totally support those rent levels and, um, drive a lot of demand from it. So that's really our main pipeline. And in fact, as of like yesterday, we decided we're not going to look at a single new deal until mm -hmm. we get those three through the process. So we put a, we said September one. So it's like a 38 day hiatus that says, don't even mention another project. That's not one of those three. And my partner and I agreed on this because um, you get to a point where you're, you're the squirrel chasing the shiny object, you know, or the squirrel chasing the nut. Like you, you have these three great pipeline projects, but then a new one comes in and a new one comes in and you're thinking about this one. And then all of a sudden you spend half your time trying to add another project to the pipeline rather than just, executing on the business plan of the first three that are already in there. So that's our pure focus now is finish the Jordan, which is our first project and then close these three projects. And in doing so, it would obviously be about 50 million worth of construction. It would bring our total unit count to um, just over 300 of units developed. And then, um, you know, it would certainly present significant opportunity for us as a company to then have capital in hand to then go and deploy into other projects after that. So really, really important that over the next 12 months, we get these three done. And that, and that definitely makes sense. But Michael, I want to be respectful of your time today. I just have a couple, a few additional questions to ask you before we end our interview today. And, and the first question I wanted to ask you is that, do you happen to have a favorite real estate or business book that you'd recommend for our audience to check out? You know, um, I'm not a reader. I've never been a reader. Um, I hated reading in second grade and I still don't read today. I get too bored. So I'm an auditory learner. I learn everything from podcasts and videos. Um, so I got a lot of, you know, real estate podcasts out there that I listen to. Obviously some of the main ones, um, the bigger pockets, the apartment investing journey. Um, 
I was actually just on Whitney Sewell's podcast the other day, the real estate syndication show, I believe it's called. Um, so all those are great resources and obviously you're in the real estate podcast business. So you understand this, but that's, that's really where a lot of my knowledge came from just about real estate in general. Um, as far as development goes, there really isn't a, I'll call them an influencer or a content creator um, around development other than maybe like Evan Holiday. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a awesome resource. He focuses specifically in like attainable housing and affordable housing development. Um, he's really the only other uh, developer that I've seen be active on social media, but um, certainly provides a lot of value there. Um, but mostly on the development side where I learned from was our consultants. So our, our general contractor, our architect, our engineer, um, all of those people have been instrumental in teaching me about the development business. And, um, you know, if I had to give any advice to anyone seeking to join the development business, it's to go out and find a contractor and architect right now. Like the first thing you do, don't go find a project, like go find an architect and an engineer and get comfortable with them and then use them as you're pursuing the first project to get their input, to gain their insights. And you can't just, you know, you can't just show up and say, Hey, I want to start building apartments. You got to show up with some kind of vision and have a, have a pitch that says, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I want you to be a part of that. And like, I'm young and you can really be an instrumental part of my business and so on and so forth. Um, so go to them with a plan, but I'm saying go and develop those relationships early on because they're going to be the ones that are going to help you to sift through the bullshit when you're looking for your first project. And it's not exactly how we did it, but looking back at how we did it, that's how I would do it now. I think that's perfect and an excellent advice for our audience. And last question today is where can our audience find you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, for a long time, just posted on my personal Instagram and then I figured I need to give all my high school and college friends a break on my real estate content. So I recently just made a real estate focused Instagram account. So you can find me at multifam Mike on Instagram. Um, and then on our website, uh, com. That's going to have a contact us. Um, that's for anyone under the sun that wants to contact us. So if you want to work with us, if you want to show us a deal, if you want to be a vendor to us, if you want to sell us something, just contact us through that website portal. It comes straight to my inbox. I'll see it. And, um, you know, I guess as an overall topic, like anyone listening that wants to learn more about development or maybe has, you know, some kind of way for us to mutually benefit each other, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm, super uh, open to having conversations with new people and, and learning from new people and collaborating with new people. And so uh, don't be a stranger, reach out and I'm happy to connect with anyone. Perfect. Thank you. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes of today's episode for our audience and Michael, thanks for hopping onto the show today. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the real estate investing exposure podcast. For full show notes on today's episode, go to podcastingyou.com. That's podcastingyou.com. If you have feedback from today's episode, feel free to email us at trevor at podcastingyou.com. Thanks for listening.